And we continue our uh, sermon series in Psalms. We have two more weeks before we start a new sermon series. It's uh, Psalm 139. You'll see it there. For the director of music of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even darkness will will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And I just want to say one thing. Davidson in the house. Weak. No, um, good, good. Glad to have you all today. Um, um, you all filling up the front rows here. And um, as always, you all getting ready to study and all that, all these minds, smart people and all that stuff. Good to have y'all. And um, the rest of y'all, y'all need to wake up a little bit. I know it's a little muggy in here and y'all want to go to sleep. I felt like sleeping for a minute because it's the perfect weather for it. Got the breeze from the fan and, uh, (laughs) oh yeah, no, be careful with that one. I only say it in private Um, or online. It doesn't count there. Um, Anyway, uh, as Pastor Giorgio said, we're going to continue in our sermon series in the, in the Psalms, and um, we're going to start a new sermon series on, uh, on uh, we're going to do a gospel survey of Jesus' life on earth and how Jesus changed the world. Today, through this psalm, uh, in this psalm, I want to take you to a place. I want to give you a view that escapes most of us, all of us in some way. This psalm this morning, Psalm 139, calls us to what itself describes as a secret place, a hidden place, 
a view, a perspective that it itself says is too wonderful, that it is too much for our human minds to have discovered or, or known on their own. A place and a view and a knowledge that though is higher than us is central to our sense of humanity and dignity and worth uh, as individuals. It is a place. It's a view. It's a knowledge that may be too wonderful for us, but is the very thing that combats racism and sexism and classism and, and arrogance and self-hatred. That place, that view, that knowledge is the mind of God concerning you and me. His very intimate perspective on us. And it is what makes our lives, though fallen and shameful sometimes and lost and sinful, it makes our lives worth our attention, worth living, and as this psalm does, worth giving God praise for. To sing this song to Him. To join in and sing in this song. To, to live and actually give our lives to a God who is too close for comfort. A God who knows everything about us. Who is everywhere we are or could be and who makes us who we are. The psalm opens this way. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You, you know when I sit and when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh Lord, you hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The scripture is saying God checks and he knows everything about you. As it says, all of your words and sees all of your motivations before the words even come on your mouth and all of your hidden thoughts and all of the deep-seated thing that really drives you. That unless you are stretched out on a couch before Dr. Otzenberger for about $130 an hour, you couldn't even begin to know about yourself. As the psalmist tells us, this God knowledge of us is too high and lofty for us to kind of put our minds around. This psalm is saying that simply put, God knows you and me better than we could ever know ourselves. My daddy used to say that to me. I hated when he would say that. When we get a little argument about something, well, daddy, what's really going on is this. Howard, please. I know you better than you know yourself. Huh? You know, it kind of makes you, and so expressed by the psalmist, this thought should blow your mind. It should shake your world up. Because ever since Adam and Eve screwed up in the garden, now we all screwed up, nobody feels completely comfortable with the idea or fact that they are absolutely and completely seen and known and searched. We automatically rebel or get weirded out. You know, nobody just thinks, good, God sees my every move. He knows every thought, every motivation, every word that I say or don't say. He knows all the weather and the whither and when and why about me. Nobody says, yay, good. You know, it makes me think about that terrifying dream I have every now and then. I know you do too. Of showing up in a public place naked. I used to have that dream a lot. Maybe I have some shame issues. Maybe I should go see Dr. Oxenberger. But, um, you know, 
will you get to the bus stop? Mine was always the bus stop. Well, your parents could see, you know, the kids and you get out there and it was only until the bus got there that I realized I was naked. Right. You know, heck, I don't know about you. I'm the type. I don't want to see myself in the mirror sometimes. You ever get ready and not look because you don't. Okay, I really do need to see somebody. Right. Sometimes I look, but I don't want to look too hard. Sometimes I keep the light just the sunlight. Sometimes the sunlight make you look good, you know. Just the silhouette of your body, suck your stomach in, you look good. You know, I don't even like looking at myself, you know, much less somebody else seeing me. And it's amazing, people who see you from the outside see you better and see things you can't see. It's a scary place to be. You know, when you're sitting down with somebody, I know me because I talk a lot and I think the stuff all over my lip, people looking at your lip and they licking their lips and you licking their yours because you're thinking, is something wrong? Digging in your nose, one of something's on your face. And as soon as you do it yourself, they do it because you th- they think you're trying to... Uh, I mean, it explains in part why we stay away from places that God is explicitly meeting us or may speak out about us. I avoid it all the time. You know those conferences that get God stirred up through people to go deep and look at you? What do I hate? When you go to these big conferences and you've got this conference speaker and he's real good and everyone's getting all heartfelt and they sing in the songs and they get all Jesus-fied and all of that. Now break up in small groups and share. Oh, God. That's when I got to go to the bathroom real bad, right? <laughs> I've done it. One, I told you all this. I went to the little Sonship conference. Not little. It's really good. World Harvest puts on. If you can go, go. But man, I went and saw some movies instead of go to that thing. I was like, we're going to have small group time in the afternoon. What movies are playing? Because I ain't doing that. I don't want nobody to see me. And we are tempted, some of us, to T.I. the world and God, right? What you know about that? You don't know nothing about me. We like being unknown in some way. You know, we're the hidden person. We got that thing about us nobody understands, right? Some of us are so melancholy. Nobody gets me. And, you know, you're kind of looking sad about it, but you sort of like it. Even even when people brag on you, you don't know what to do, do you? Oh, you're, you're awesome. Oh, Lord. <laughs> they going to stalk me now? You know, you, or why does that happen? Because there's a principle in Scripture ever since when, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that nakedness, being seen good or bad, is too much. In our broken shame and fear of being vulnerable, you know, it's too hard for us to handle. And so the psalmist says this in verse 5, right? You hand me in. And then follows with the rest of it. And and hand means this. It means cramp. God cramps your style, right? You're pinned in from the front, from the back, and from the sides. God is cramping him with the knowledge that he sees and knows everything there is about every about you and everyone. And, and he won't let David and through the psalm, you and me and his people forget or escape the container or the pen or the fence or the crap, if you will, of this truth that we don't like all the time. He's saying, God, your omniscience, your know-it-allness 
it outlasts, it outdoes, it outthinks, it thinks, it runs ahead and behind faster or stronger or righter than my, my own. In other words, I can't be or think or do too much or be too complicated or too depressed or too smart or too ignorant to escape you knowing me. You ever seen that Geico commercial with that creepy dollars with the, with the eyes on it? You know, and I look at, I mean, how this vision comes around? If I could just slap the eyes off and take the dough, that'd be worth it. Y'all, y'all, you know, y'all don't know about the 1980s song by Rockwell, Michael Jackson singing a chorus. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Remember the Pooley song? What was the one? Um, I shouldn't have brought it up. What they, it was early on in the 80s about, who is that knocking at my door? Dun, 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 dun. Right? Go away. I don't want you here anymore. You know, in the 80s, we had a lot more paranoia than y'all have now. But both songs have this feeling of, let me lock my door. Let me get away. And so Geico has that kind of money with that song playing with the eyes on it. And, and it's, it's, it's a theological truth for us in our brokenness. Because we need God, but we don't always like the creepy eyes on us. Or maybe in God's eyes, just creepy. Maybe we feel creepy inside. And being seen is hard. And so David here, I, mean, I love this. The, the psalmist here knows that we humans get creeped out by the eyes of even a God we need. And he says this in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? And using words like, where can I flee? Run away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I sit on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Where can we go from God's presence? Where can you run from the creepy eyes? The answer is clear and even that much more discomforting. Nowhere. Nowhere. Because God is everywhere. And goes everywhere we go and could go and try and go to try escape his words and spirit and the faith and whatever, all that God church stuff. And he goes anywhere and wherever we might find ourselves, you know, whether in a class of people or ethnic group or disability or disease or a gift or a challenge or a country or family of origin. God is and was and will be there. And I want to avoid making this only about the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is everywhere. This psalm is more about the impossibility of you putting yourself or being in a place in your heart or in your actions or even in your achievements, in your feelings, and even some of your denial of God that God's face and presence and knowledge and eyes and spirit will not find you. In our church, we have a lot of covenant children. You know, their parents brought them up here 20 years ago to get baptized. Went to the schools, you know, went to Sunday school. You know, it's interesting about covenant children in the Christian world. Just as a pastor, I see it, how we try to cuss and drink more than you should, you know, kind of Christian skating the edge. Somehow, maybe that goofy Christian thing that they saw in their parents won't catch up to you. You know, get, get this, you know, being in the presence of face of presence of God tends to make you goofy, okay? And Christian and cry and praise God and, and all that stuff we thought went away with the sale of PTL and Heritage USA. But guess what? God's with you. And going to reveal himself regardless of how edgy 
you try to get. I got some news for you. The edge, that's where you live to try to escape God and be all cool. And, you know, you don't want nobody to know you. You're all the, you know, the goth Christian kind of person. You know, the, you're on the edge. Hear this. The edge is God's very beginning for connecting with you. So when you think you're on the edge, you just at the beginning of God, get you. you can't flee. There's no such thing as an edge for God. David says here, if I mount up on the wings of the dawn, if I, you know, if, if I move at the speed of light, if I go to a place where the light isn't even there, Lord, on the edge, you are ma- in many ways, you are just beginning to find me. God promises to be there. To, to meet you and see you and know you. That as verse 9 goes on to say, even if you run far away from all of those God world and Christian people and scripture stuff and go to Timbuktu or do a romping wild trip through Europe or in a city of, or, or in a city somewhere or enter an institution of higher learning or a club where you smoking and drinking and sleeping with everything and trying to relearn and deconstruct everything, you know, having found the one place in the one kind of behavior pattern that I can get lost and God won't ever find me. I got some news for you. It says, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. God, you were there when I was passing the blood? Yes, I was there. But when I was getting out that bed, you were there the whole time. You know, (laughs) when I was a youth pastor, you have to come up with little things to say to people. And the question, Pastor Brown, how far can we go? Just imagine Jesus is there with you. Need a little corny answer. Never really works, but every now and then it gets you. But it's true. And on the other end, it's interesting. Some of us uh, think that our good deeds and self-righteousness will keep that feeling of God's eyes. You know, maybe it's condemning or judgment from coming on us, right? I give to the poor. I've traveled the world to help. I do good deeds, man. We are ready. We have our stuff lined up. We've we've done good by our kids and our parents and we've gotten into a good school and or we're living in a good neighborhood and do our work and we are seeking to satisfy or outrun that feeling of inadequacy David feels in the presence and knowledge of God. He says, if I make my bed in heaven, you are there to bring me back to earth. <laughs> To see me. The psalmist says here that the the darkness won't hide you. Okay. In other words, you know when you go to a movie, they try to turn the lights down or a show, right? God sees behind the show, (laughs) y'all. Behind the mask. Behind the drama. You've turned down the lights, written a good script for your life, and doing your best acting job. And God, more than anybody else in this world, is not fooled. He doesn't believe the hype and the lie. He is unconvinced. You might uh, suspend disbelief for a minute to indulge yourself and your world, and you shucked and you jived and you bobbed and you weed and you dipped and you duped to escape the pain and heartache of being you before a holy and loving God. But God is the still the same God that is right there all up in your stuff, all up right in the darkness. 
Some of us are just trapped in a dark place. We don't know how we got there. It's just dark. We don't know. We don't have any direction. Our hearts are cold and hard. We don't know what to do. And the Bible is saying here, even darkness is that is like light to you. You see it all. I may not know where to go. I may not even know where I am. I don't even know what condition my heart's in. I don't know whether I'm crazy or whether I'm sane. But Lord, in that darkness of my lack of my lack of knowledge, my inability to see all things, my darkness is like light to you. You know, we have this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. I was, and it goes on, I, was, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Now, let me make it clear. You were lost in darkness. God never lost you. You just found out that he was with you, right? That he was always too close for you to get comfortable being alone or in the darkness or in the light of your own making. But before we deem God the one stalker who won't obey a restraining order and sort of saying he won't, realize this. He made you and me to be known and be with him. He made us. I like to say God caused us. He caused us, right? Look with me at verse 13. It says here, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh, God, how vast is the sum of them. And when we look at verse 17, first we have where can we flee from your presence? And now we have how precious are these thoughts? There's something about God causing David's life and making him or whoever wrote the psalm. And it changes the thoughts that he has of God. Y'all, when I begin to pull this together, this thing kind of trippy, kind of crazy, kind of make your mind not go to sleep at night. It's kind of, if you really get into it, right? Because what it's saying is, the scripture is saying that, that God causes us to be, not only biologically, but because he knew us not just as tissues or, or cells, but in the womb, he knew us as humanity in its simplest form, having God's full endowment of purpose known and seen and recognized by him. Before they had them ultrasounds, you can see the 3D, God was already seeing that. He already saw every angle of, I mean, it's more like 60 because he sees inside. He sees what's going to happen. You know, God made people, David here, his people, to be with him, to live life with him. He made that happen. And by saying in verse 15 that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, fa- secret place. And then going on by saying you saw my unformed body. He is saying though I was not known or seen or out yet. 
or what I was to become was was not yet known to me or others or whether I would be popular or whether I'd be a nerd. Before I had a chance to be judged or labeled by me or others as black or white or Hispanic or other or whatever else, I, I along with any human being was never, ever since conception arbitrary or irrelevant or an accident or unconnected or as God's child unloved or unaccounted for or uncared for. I was always from the first day a cell came to be. I was cared for and invested and endowed with dignity, which is a God given human purpose and propriety and unalienable rights as a human being. In the secret place. That means you can't touch it. That means you can't make a discriminate against it. That means you can't make a judgment on human beings beyond or or below what God has has done. You know, you can't even put a worth on yourself when God wove you together in the womb. Before you could have won or lost or succeeded or failed. What pay you made or didn't before you had eyes or a brain or legs before you could act out your life. You and I were acted upon by God and given God created predetermined worth and value. You know, people say before you were thought in your daddy's mind or a twinkle in your dad's eyes or something like that. Right. Get this. You were never not a thought in the mind of God. No one born or unborn or lost in birth or before born or yet to be born was ever not a thought in the mind of God. So therefore, no one is not kissed and touched and endowed with the glory and worth of God. And therefore, more than that, no one's life, their days, their actions, their, their every waking thought or moment, or moment or, 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 or intentions are hidden outside of play into God's preordained scheme. No one is an afterthought. All the days you and I will live are here, here are only because God made for us to be alive that long. And if that is true, every breath you take, every move we make, I knew that one gonna fly. God is watching you. No. Uh, hey, Terrence, can we do that song for worship? That sound right. You can do the P Diddy thing too. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. We can we can re, we can remix it. Anyway, so that you didn't have the ability to move in that moment. You and I cannot would not be able to live and move and have our being without God allowing to be. The Lord not only gave you life, you know, just breathing. He gave you your life. Your life. The psalm says back in verse 15, I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Everyone was made to be here on this planet. Whether one or a million cells, we all in some way, whether we inside our mama, at whatever point it happened, or outside and, and, and have lived life for a long time, you've taken up space and history. You know what's awesome? When a child comes in the womb, 
even at the first conception, it automatically has a relationship. Relationship already. Not only with God, but a human to human relationship. The mom and the baby have a relationship. There's some give and take going on. If you don't believe me, ask some women who've been through it, okay? There is a relationship. And sometimes that relationship grows just like if I hung up with you, our relationship would grow. And sometimes the baby ain't doing nothing, don't look like nothing, maybe a little size of a pea or something like that. And then later that baby just like kicking away. I seen it. Harrison and Clark just... Boom. And Kelly, move your elbow. Relationship. <laughs> David says, I'm fear, fearfully and wonderfully made, and I praise you for that. And it means this you, I don't know how many ways I can say it. You and I are not, never have been, and never will be as human beings. In a reverent piece of crap. Never. You are something and someone to be revered because God caused and made you. And the praise of this point is simple. I am here. Praise be to God. You and them and they are here. Praise be to God. You know, more more serious notes. You know, folk who just found out they got pregnant and we know people lose children early on babies don't make it to term should i tell people i'm pregnant well i understand the feeling you let people know and then you have to deal with the big disappointment everybody in your business and all that stuff to some degree you should because they he she the thing we call it is here Praise be to God. If they were conceived, no matter how long, if they got microscopic, that was the day God ordained for them. And we don't always see it, maybe, some of us. You know, technology helps. For the unborn babies, again, the humans we call it, praise be to God. And he says here that we are fearfully made here. And then later in this chapter, in verse 19, you know, we read about uh, God kill all the bloodthirsty men. I hate them. You hate them. Take care of them. Wow, what happened? <laughs> this is what happened. We, when you understand how, how God is worshipped through this, how tied human beings and the, being the crown of God's creation are, you hate injustice. You hate hatred. You hate the thing that takes that dignity that only God gives away. And so it means this. We must protect and seek to protect and preserve what God has made and no human could have faked or invented. We must protect and promote life. And that is not a right to life political term. It is a biblical term. That means worth and dignity and comfort and care and joy and peace. We should protect and promote those things. And what that means is, you know, I, 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 I have a hard time because, you know, I'm in a church that's on the right, holistically as a church. And I've been asked, like, I remember when I first entered the ministry, 
Pastor Brown, can you pray at the right to life prayer thing on the steps of, you know, the state building in Atlanta? I asked my pastor, could I do it? He says, yeah, you're doing it because I can't. So I went. And all of a sudden it all came back to me. When I saw there's a lot of homeless people hanging around there and then all like the church vans from the suburbs show up and they're kicking all the homeless people out. And they even got the police trying to stop these folk from, you know, messing up the right to life rally. You know, and, and then, you know, the same buses that showed up from these churches that refused to show up when Martin Luther King was marching. Like that. You know, the same group that most of the time on the right, let's protect the unborn children. But I am completely against health care for those people. It's not a right to get health care. Too bad. Suffer. It's part of life. We all suffer. Let you suffer. I bet policies are changing in a minute. But I'm just saying, it, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. The, the scripture's just not, it, it's been hijacked. For one political move or one church-based movement. And not to say that it was wrong or something like that, but one thing and it doesn't apply to the rest. This thing is about life and whole life. David says, when I awake, you are there. And some commentaries believe he's saying, when I die and I get back up on the other side, you are there too. So it's more than just the womb to the grave. Because when folk get here, sorry. You know, and I think about capital punishment. Oh boy, we can get a little debate here. I know. I ain't getting in it with y'all. All I'm going to say is this. It should... I can't leave it alone, Carl. It should be a weighty issue. If you kill somebody, murder somebody, hurt somebody, we should take it real seriously. And I don't know how we as the mass here in the United States decide to vote to take care of it, but it should never not be dealt with when somebody hurts somebody else. So, you know, it kind of blew my mind. I'm kind of going a little long, but I got some things to say up here real quick. Is this, it kind of blew my mind, you know, Michael Vick, he get how many years for killing the dog, but the man who killed the person don't get as many? They are, oh, Lord, y'all. That don't make sense. So many of these folk, you hear they mistreat some woman or something like that. Ain't no groups, you know, picketing that. But we'll pick it if you hurt a dog. And it's wrong to hurt animals. You know, I believe in Genesis too. We still take care of them. Okay, moving on. (laughs) We're no longer allowed. We should no longer allow our and others' sense of worth and value to be measured or taken away or demeaned or accepted as good enough. We must not allow our God alone given and determined human worth and value to be determined by how fast or smart or thin or ethnic or sexual or organized or assertive or successful or pretty or what daddy or mama might think or or by how good we've been. You are fearfully and wonderfully made before you even started living, if you will. Final point here. You ever seen that commercial? That, is it BASF? B-A-S-F? They said, we don't make a lot of things you use. We make a lot of things you use better, right? Yeah. Well, this, this psalm is saying, God only, 
He makes you and makes you better. Understand when David goes on and says, hey, look, you know, kill all the people who are bloodthirsty and, and please, I want to hate them too. And others, Lord, I've taken on your sense of injustice. And then he says this, search me and know me. See if there's something wrong with me. So David goes from, can I flee from your presence to thou, Lord, I need you to search and know me. Something's happened here. You, you know, it's, it, God's redemption means he's going to change us to, to not be shameful, to run from his presence and, and run from him and or distrust his holy presence around our lives. And in verse seven, he says, where can I go from your presence? And so what is going on? You ever been at the airport and you just hoping you're not the one who gets tagged? Oh, gosh. And when other, it happens to other people. <laughs> When it happens to other people, and I say, well, look, I'm a married citizen. You didn't bother me. I'm thinking, it should. It's all here to protect us. <laughs> but when it happens to you, wait a minute. You knew you do it because I'm black. Right? We got something. We always got, you doing it because I got this on. You, what's wrong with you? Can't you tell I'm American or whatever? It ain't got nothing to do with America. Americans blow up stuff all day. So it ain't got nothing to do with that. You human, you can mess up. But anyway, back to this. Nobody in and of themselves in their right minds wants to be stripped, searched, or searched. You ever had anybody open your luggage and your stuff all over the place? That is embarrassing. <laughs> Wait, what do you got now? Ooh, Lord, fruit of the loom. I mean, it's just something wrong with it. What size? You know, I don't, it's just hard. It's kind of weird, you know. I, I'm so glad we have an add-on because my toilet's in the back room. I don't need to go there with y'all. It's embarrassing. You don't want folk to know your stuff, your stink, your mess, whatever. You don't want it all all out there. It's humiliating. So why is David saying, please search me and know me? What happened to him? He gone fool. Nobody wants this. Kelly and I, oh Lord, we've been married 12 years. Going on 12 years. Y'all can clap. That's all right. She did it. She did it. <clears throat> you know, remember I told you I don't like to light on myself? I, I got a question. After 12 years of marriage, I don't understand how I can, oh, I'm hoping I'm not going too far, but I, I wonder how I can just get dressed in front of her, like just walking around, hey, baby, what's up? What's going on? You know, no clothes, whatever, coming out the shower, she in there. You know, I'm just thinking, <laughs> you know, how can I walk around willing and naked and knowing and bumbling and confusing my thought? Look, my life is not like a sermon at home, okay? I don't have it all together. I don't have it written down. I screw up. And she's, I mean, why is she still with me? You know, I wake up with stink breath and I like to talk all day long. <laughs> you know, I am that guy that's like, Woo, don't go in there for 15 minutes. Sorry, you got to do your face. You know, I mean, it's no shame. And look, man, I didn't give myself this name, but when I was in seminary, I was called the Batman rubber suit. I was cut. I see some of y'all cut young people. Y'all ain't got nothing on me back then. I had the eight pack. They don't even put beer out in eight packs. I had the eight pack, Bubba. It's just in the bag right now. That's all y'all got to know. You can still see the form, you know, just a little bag on top, but it's there. But I think, you know, I look at myself and I am a washed up wrestler looking brother at best. You know, the wrestler that went too long. That's me. 
I walk around exposed. Not because I hope that, you know, she would want me or something like that. I'm not that good. (laughs) But because in marriage, especially after 12 years, I am hers. And her body and faults are mine and mine are hers. She knows me and still will not leave me. We've taken in and on each other's stench and brokenness and quirks and sags and stretches. And she even takes on my inability to dance. And still dance. Want to dance? I'll make you look like a fool. That's all right. Come on. You know, and she even says, baby, you still look good. It ain't true. (laughs) To her. She still wants to kiss and hug me after I brush my teeth. But God, through the journey of this psalmist, taking away the psalmist and our sin, shame, and distance from God by declaring God is intimately familiar with us and giving us a worth that we can't give up to ourselves. God is like married to his people like Kelly with me. And God, by knowing us as his children and refusing to leave us, he takes on our stuff. He's saying, I won't leave you. I'm there. I'm, I hear you every thought. And guess what? I ain't left yet. I ain't checked out yet. When you wanted to check out to do something stupid, I still was with you. What are you saying? I'm taking your life on as my own. My life has become your life. I go where you are. I am with you. So there is no place too high for us in our brokenness to, to give to ourselves too wonderful. You know, he said there's nothing too crazy out there for me not to be in. Hope you see the gospel here. Jesus. God come in the flesh came to be acquainted with us to smell us to smell like us to be like us to be known and seen and revealed and reviewed and searched by God to join with us in our humanity from the womb to the grave to smell or stink to smell stink breath and see our sighs and see our lack of dignity and our sin and still love us with his words and actions of hope. Jesus is the word and knowledge of God come in the flesh, and that was lofty and too wonderful for us. And he came for our human brokenness. And now if you and I stand in him and turn to him in the knowledge of God's inescapable hemmed in grace, our shame can begin to be healed and our worth restored and our fear-based living alleviated so that I can be sure that I should be here. That I can be sure that I'm worth something. That I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Search me and know me because you love me. You can stop faking life and live life. Because of Jesus. God who came too close for our comfort. Too close. For your comfort. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, humanity in its sin and its seeking to run from you deserves your leaving us. You could have and you should have left us in the darkness. We could have come out irrelevant. You, Lord, you could let us be trapped in a performance-based life. We have to try to be this and be that to be accepted, Lord. But you sent Jesus to free us from that. To restore our worth. Search us and know us. 
We need you to. To change us. In Jesus' name. Amen.